Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. We're carrying on the series on Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 23. Um, so if you want to turn to chapter 23, and I said in the first service, I said my first piece of advice before I even read any of this is if anyone ever asks you, kind of last minute, do you want to preach on this passage in a series, ask them what the passage is first. Because what Dad's done here is he's gone away on holiday and left me with the one part of Joshua which talks about sin. So let's read it, shall we? (laughs) Chapter 23, I'm going to read it all because it's the Word of God. And my Bible has just turned the page. Here we go. Chapter 23. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I'm old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between Jordan and the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you and you will take possession of the land as the Lord your God promised you. Amen. Amen. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations to this day. No one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become like snares and traps for you, whips for your backs and thorns for your eyes, until you perish from this land, this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now I'm about to go the way of the earth. (laughs) He's like, I'm about to die, guys. That's super cheery, chapter, verse 14. You know with all of your heart and soul that no one amongst you, no one of all the promises, sorry, the Lord has given you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as every good promise that the Lord your God has given has come true, so the Lord will bring you all the evil he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the land he has given you. That's the word of the Lord. (laughs) Amen. Thanks, Dad. So... Joshua here, as I've, as I've mentioned, there's a little euphemism where he's like, I'm going the way of the earth. Basically, he's like, I'm going to die, guys. So this is right at the end of Joshua's like arc. This is right at the end of his story. Obviously, it's almost at the end of Joshua. There's one more chapter after this. Praise God. But this is Joshua, basically. This is his last words. You know those cheesy moments in movies where the, one of the characters dies, and they usually like pass on some wisdom, and then suddenly they have the power to like overcome everything? This is Joshua's attempt at that. This is him saying, you want to know my secret, this is it. And he calls the entire nation of Israel, and he says to them, this is it. So as you guys have been going through this series, and you've been learning all about, I don't know why I emphasize series so much there, sorry. As you guys have been going through this series, 
And you've been learning about how to take the land. You've been learning about how God has blessings for you, yeah? He's got such good, good things for you. And he's got this promised land. And it's not just a physical place. It's a, it's a kingdom that we can live in. And you know that this is New Testament as well as old. There's a promised land we can live in. You can live in that all day, every day. But Joshua says, do you want to know the secret to that? And he puts that in this chapter. And he makes three points which I really want to highlight to you. And those three things are he defines who Yahweh is. He says he basically through this um, discourse that he says he's showing the Israelites, he's reminding them who Yahweh is. And what he says to them about who he is, he says Yahweh is faithful. And he repeats that a whole lot. So we're going to pay attention to it because it says Yahweh is faithful. And Joshua is reminding the Israelites one more time. He's saying, this is your God. The faith, look at the faithfulness of God. And when we read this, often, often with the Old Testament, when we read it, we read these things in isolation. And it's awesome that you guys have been going through a series on Joshua, because what it means is when you hear and you think about him saying, this is the faithfulness of your God, you're going to be like the Israelites who, whenever someone mentions that, they're immediately going to think of how faithful he is. This is not very far away from the generation that was in Egypt and got saved, and they came out, and they wandered around the desert, and they were led by fire by night and by a cloud by day. They know about the faithfulness of the Lord. So I want to remind you guys this morning, our God is faithful, isn't he? He's so good. But what's really interesting here is how Joshua uses God to define the Israelites. The way that Joshua talks about the Israelites is he defines them in terms of who Yahweh is. He always says the Lord your God, and everything that they've done, everything that he's done is why? Because of the Lord your God. Did you catch that? So what that means is that Joshua is saying your identity, who you are, is completely wrapped up in who he is. And we know that, don't we, as Christians? But let's think about that deeply for a moment. If you're an Israelite, you're sitting listening to this. What that means for you is that Joshua is saying who you are is the same as equivalent to the guy that split the Red Sea. Does that make sense? So it's not just you're good, you're nice, you know, Christian, smiley Christian. It's you, you have all power in your hand, yeah? So when we read the Old Testament, one of the other things that we do is we often kind of jump straight to New Testament, don't we? We read the Old Testament and we think about Jesus, and it's, it's true that Joshua is an image of Jesus. He's like a, a foreshadowing of Jesus and what Jesus did. That's really true. But when we read the Old Testament, I think because we relate it to the New Testament, we either like disregard it in that way or we do this other thing where, for some weird reason as Christians, I think we find it easy to relate to the New Testament. So we read you know, Paul's letters and we're like, yep, I have all of those issues. Thank you, Paul, for talking about this so clearly. Um, and yep, that's definitely going on in, in you know, the church down the road, not this one, but we see it down there, yeah? So when we read the New Testament, sometimes that can feel really tangible and close to us. And sometimes when we read the Old Testament, it feels a little bit like Lord, Lord of the Rings or Narnia. And you're like, there could be a dragon at any moment. <laughs> or, you know, someone's head is just going to fall off or something. Someone's going to swallow a sword. That, all that stuff just happens. And so I think when we read the Old Testament, sometimes what we do is we remove ourselves and we think about the Jews, the Israelites, and we think, yeah, I know who they are, and I know about them, but I'm a Christian, so I'm over here. And that's not the way we should read the Old Testament. When you're a Christian, you actually go from over here to here, to becoming like an Israelite. We get grafted in, don't we? So when we read these stories, first of all, read the Old Testament. But second of all, when you read it, remember, this is your heritage. So 
If the Israelites are defined by God's presence and by divine intervention, then so are you. Did you get that? The God who splits the sea. Whoa. (laughs) More, Lord. The God who split the sea lives in you, but not just lives in you. He gave you that identity. That power is what you carry. But that comes with responsibility. This is my Spider-Man moment where I say, with great power comes great responsibility. And Joshua makes this point, doesn't he? But we're going to come to that. I'm going to talk about the other way that Yahweh is defined, right? Yahweh is always defined in the Old Testament as other. That's the theological word, the word that we often use in church is holy. We know, don't we, that the Old Testament makes a huge deal about how holy God is, how holy Yahweh is, to the point where you, even Moses couldn't see his face. And so there's something about the nature of God, about the nature of Yahweh, that he's completely other. He's completely separate and different from everything we know. And that's still true today, isn't it? You see, the Israelites, one of the things that made them really unique was, first of all, they only had one God. But second of all, their God kind of had no name, but also loads of names. And second of all, there's no images of this God, right? We know, don't we, that the Israelites had no images. They had no idols of their gods. Whereas all the nations around them had tons of idols, and they had tons of gods. So basically, the way it would work, I'm sure you guys know this, but I like describing it because I find it amusing. Basically, the way that it would work is, if they had a problem, they would essentially create a god to deal with the problem, and then just go to that god, and then they would make an image because it feels kind of good to go pray to an image. So let's say, for example, if it wasn't the Israelites who got to the Red Sea, if it was another nation that got to the Red Sea and stopped there, what they would have done to handle that situation wouldn't have been, let's pray to the unseen God. It would have been, where's the God of the sea in this book of idols I have? Let's pray to him. That's a whole lot more encouraging. That's a whole lot more stable. Why? Because it's manifest, it's real, it's there. And there's something about us as humans that we love, what's tangible, we love what's actually there. And so Yahweh is saying to them, in this or Joshua, Yahweh through Joshua in this verse is saying, in this passage is saying to them, look, you need to stay firm and trust a God that you can't see. The God who's so faithful, I can tell you about him, but you can't see him. How many know that that sounds a lot like the Christian life? So don't read these stories and think, you know, 4,000 years ago, dragons. Read it and be like, these are real people with everyday lives. And the, so that's how Joshua defines, you know, God and and the Israelites, but I want to talk about um, this otherness thing. And I want to pick up where Joshua, he says to them, doesn't he? He says, don't intermarry or associate with the people left in the nation. And when I read that, I find that a bit weird. To be honest, I find it a little bit mean. (laughs) Like, don't touch them. It's almost like an untouchable attitude. And I want to explain to you what the heart of that is, and I, I want to try and unpack that for you. But to do that, we have to do a whole lot of context. So you guys, okay, you're on board. Buckle your seatbelts. Are you ready? (laughs) So basically, the way that this works is, and and before I go into it, Joshua, I I believe when he says don't intermarry, it's not like he's freaking out that they might marry some of the the locals. This is is him making a point, and I'm going to try and make his point. Um, It's about about following the whole law. It's not just don't marry non-Christians. It's be holy. Yeah, So what happens is, in, let's go back to Genesis for a moment. Let's think about the garden. 
right? Adam and Eve, they walked with God. It doesn't say they walked with Jesus. It says that they walked with the Lord. So that implies to me that they could see Yahweh. And they walked with him and they talked with him, right? So in the initial design, in the creation, God was still holy, but he wasn't other. Yeah? And what happens is we hear the fall and the creation narrative, and we hear it from our perspective, and we hear that the people are kicked out of the garden. You know, They're driven out because they can't stay there. And what we should probably more think about is Father's perspective. Because what happens is we hear that and we live our lives as Christians, and we've all just said, haven't we, sometimes we, well, we always struggle to see God. We can't see God. Why is it if you're so real and you're so tangible, why can't I see you? Have you ever been there? I've been there for so much of my life. You know, as a PK, it's quite frustrating because I can't see God, but I can see my parents. And sometimes they don't look much like God. And that's a bit weird, because it's like, on one hand, you're meant to be doing all this stuff, and on the other hand, I see you, like, every day. I see the intimate you, right? But you're meant to be the representation of God, not just to me as my father, but you're also a pastor, right? So I've struggled with that. I don't know whether maybe some of you guys struggle. Why, Why can't I see God? But it's something I have. And this is why, because what happened is, we invited sin into us, and he was like, I have to remove myself. Not I have to remove you, that's what most people would have done, right? But I have to remove myself. Because he's so holy, he can't abide in the presence of sin. He can't be near it, he can't touch it. We know that, right? But it means that when that's in us, when we've invited that in, we can't be near him. So every way that we've related to God from Genesis on has been mediated. So in the Old Testament, it was really mediated, right? They didn't even have a concept for Jesus, because he hadn't arrived yet, and they didn't have a concept for Holy Spirit. They had a concept for the Spirit of God, and they would define him in terms of the wind, breath. Have you ever seen breath? (laughs) No. Well, yeah, but you're seeing the particles, aren't you? So what you're seeing is the effects. So the Israelites, their image of the Spirit of God they could only ever see the effects. So they can't ever see God, they can only ever see what he's done. And Joshua's reminding them what he's done. But why is he talking about don't marry? Because here's the thing, if, I, if God is completely other, and I have to look like him to live in the promised land, which I do, then I need to be completely other too. And that's why Joshua makes the point, he says to them, don't intermarry, don't associate with these people. Because what he's saying is you need to become other. You know, one of, I think, the biggest lies of our generation in Christianity, especially in in the West and especially in Europe, is that relevance is more important than purity. And we've sold our souls as Christians trying to be relevant in the world. And what happens when we do that is we're getting intimate with the world. We're basically intermarrying. We have our beliefs, we have our values, and people will even talk to you about it, like, I have these morals, you have those morals, let's kind of like smush them together. We can't do that as Christians, because when we do that, we're intermarrying with the world. This is what Joshua's warning us about. Because what happens is, when I'm not other, I can't be holy. The thing about Christians is that they're meant to look so different. When Israel was succeeding, when it was prospering as a nation, it looked completely different from the nations around it. Every, every um, hero that you read of, Daniel, Joseph, Moses, all of these, they lived amongst other cultures, but what were they? They were different. And as a people, we need to be more different. 
And what I want to challenge you on this morning is don't sell your soul. Don't marry with a belief that isn't from heaven. Because when you do that, you're going to limit your ability to take possession of the land. Does that make sense? That was an amen moment, I think. <laughs> awesome. I'm just teasing you guys. I don't think I... <laughs> because what happens is that sin steals our identity. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk for a moment about sin. We're due to finish about three, right? That's okay with everyone. <laughs> I'm going to talk about sin, and I'm going to define sin. Because once you know about the good, you need to know about the bad, because you need to avoid it. And what is sin? Sin is something that Christians talk about either all the time or none of the time. There's two types of churches, right? Let's be a church that walks the tightrope. Let's talk about it properly. Sin is something that either terrifies you or you try to ignore when you're, when you're a Christian. So how do we define sin? It's not just doing what's bad, but it's actually relational dysfunction. Every sin that's ever been committed has been relational dysfunction of some form. It's either been relationally dysfunctional towards the earth around us, in other words, damaging the earth, or relationally dysfunctional to those around us, or it's relationally dysfunctional to ourselves. Do you follow me? Does that make sense? Every sin ever, if you read the law, there's like 600 laws in Deuteronomy. If you go through and read every single one, you can put every single one in one of those categories. Because sin is always relational dysfunction. Because we were made for relationship. So when we get stuff wrong, it's only because we're relating wrong. We can relate to ourselves, but it's only because we're relating wrong. And the weird thing is, in this, in this time, in this moment, is when we talk about sin, we hear that through the lens of the world, and we hear that through, I'm wrong, I'm bad. And we hear this individualistic culture talking back to us. And what I really want to emphasize this morning is that your sin and my sin is a, is a much more corporate thing. It's not an individual thing. So the reality is, this is why Joshua, in this, in this chapter, he calls the whole of Israel. He doesn't call one dude and be like, I'm going to pass this wisdom on to you. He calls the entirety of Israel because sin is a corporate issue. And he says to them, don't do this. Don't sell yourself. Don't marry you know, these other things. And the reason why he does that is because the reality is that my sin affects you. Not just my sin, like the first two categories, it's really easy to see how it affects you. If I'm relationally dysfunctional to the world and I throw litter everywhere, you know, my carbon footprint's crazy, and you can see how I'm ruining the world for the generations after me, but also those around me. And if I'm relationally dysfunctional to Rob and I punch him in the face, you can see very clearly and obviously, you know, that's wrong. You can see why, right? We know why those things are sins. But sometimes in our individualistic culture, we struggle with those hidden sins, those ones where it's like, that's just in me. And our inner dialogue, sometimes we don't realize when it's becoming sinful because it's, it's about our culture is all about what makes us happy and what makes us comfortable. And what we need to know is that what I'm doing in private or what you need to know is what I do in private actually affects you. And it actually stops you from taking the promised land. You know, when I'm not holy in the private place, I'm actually limiting your walk with Jesus. And I'm, I don't need to, but vice versa is obviously true, guys. And this is why it's a serious issue. You know, the tragedy is that the promised land is right there for the taking, and we know that. But how many know that if we as Christians lived a holy life, I honestly believe the world would be saved? Imagine, how many Christians are there? Over a billion. Imagine a billion Jesuses. 
Imagine. The tragedy is the only thing stopping us is our, is our holiness, is our sin. And I, I want to just remind you guys and encourage you guys. First of all, God's faithful, and he's the overcomer, and Jesus has already paid the price for this. So if you're there and you're, you're feeling really guilty or convicted and you're like, I don't know how to cope with this, like, like this sin is really binding me, we'll talk about that in a minute, but I just want to encourage you that it's not your task. Your task is faithfulness. Because the first thing that I reminded you of at the start was who is God? He's faithful. And we enter a covenant with him, don't we, when we, when we join the, the family of Israel. And what that means is we have to look like him. I've talked to you about otherness. Let's talk about faithfulness. All that's required of us is that we're faithful to God. That's all that's required of us. If you can make one decision of faithfulness to him, I'm going to give up one thing. He'll do the rest, I promise you. And as long as you stay faithful, the sin will go. It might not go instantly, but it will go. And the problem is, all too often, I believe that we as Christians, we've been trying to struggle in these areas. We've been trying to fight, and we don't, we don't talk about it. And one of the things that the Israelites did was it was so obvious when someone had sinned. So many of the punishments for sin, and when there's these pesha sins in the Old Testament, people had to be um, set, sent away from the family. They had to go and live somewhere else. And the reality is... That, that sounds really mean, but what it's doing is it's teaching a truth, which is that, first of all, everyone can see that. And the danger with church in the West is that our, our spiritual lives are completely hidden. Do you understand why that's a danger? Because I can do whatever I like, and then I can come to church. And so what I want to challenge you with this morning is let's be a family. Let's be honest about who we are, where we're at. And I want to talk to you about a couple of sins, but... Let me put this another way. Why, why shouldn't we intermarry? Let me use an analogy. I'm going to talk about a restaurant. Some of you maybe have heard of it. Some of you maybe have even been. I'm talking about McDonald's. Anyone know McDonald's? Yeah. When you go to McDonald's, let's not even begin to think about the food because that's just gross. But when you go to McDonald's and you order a Coke, what happens is you pay full price for something that isn't Coke. Have you noticed this, anyone who's been to McDonald's? You can pay the sugar tax and still get something which is not Coke. Why? Because it's half syrup and half water. Since when was that Coke? I pay like half the price of what I'm paying for is water. It's watered down, right? I have a friend who literally only drinks Coke from McDonald's or fast food places because they don't like the taste of normal Coke anymore because it's too strong. Weird, I know, right? What's my point? My point is this. When you allow the water in, when you allow these other things in, in any sense, you're diluting the promises of God. So God is so other, right, that he can't be present, and so he's not going to mix with it. So this is where the analogy kind of completely falls flat, but that's okay. <laughs> because basically, you're separating. And that means that you're losing some. You can't have like 200% of a man, but it means if you allow 20% sin in, then you've diluted the presence by 20%. And the problem is in the church today, this is, this is the really hard-hitting bit for me. This is the bit I struggle with most. That the reality is, sometimes we can get so used to and comfortable in our sin that we don't see it as sin anymore. We can become like our friend, my friend, our friend, you guys. I mean, I've not told you his name deliberately, <laughs> but you guys are all friends now. Um, we can become like our friend and only like the watered-down stuff. And then we encounter real Coke, and we drink that, and we're like, no, I can't handle that. And what breaks my heart is that I have been the Christian 
who's lived a life which is watered down. And then when I've tasted the good stuff, I didn't like it. Let me give you an example of what that looks like for me. The last couple of months of my degree, I got really into basketball because it was like playoff season. The problem is there's no British basketball that's any good, so you have to watch American basketball, and that's on at like ridiculous o'clock. So for the last few months of my degree, instead of doing my prayer time before bed, I would stay up ridiculously late and watch basketball. And I'm going to be honest with you, I way preferred that to my prayer time. I did. I way preferred it to my prayer time. Was it good for me? No. <laughs> I was tired. <laughs> I was trying to do a dissertation. What was I playing at? I look back now and I'm like, what was I doing? <laughs> but at the time, it was way nicer. And that's the reality of, and the danger of sin. And that's why we need to not intermarry. And Joshua's challenge, Joshua's warning to them was don't even associate. And what I want to challenge you with this morning is... Where can you remove yourself? Where can you remove yourself? So for some of you, you work nine to five, you work in a, in a secular workplace. Obviously, I'm not saying quit your job. <laughs> but there's a way where you can be in that place and still be completely separate. It doesn't mean you're not relevant. And I don't mean don't talk to anyone. <laughs> because the Israelites definitely did. Otherwise, those like conquering bits would have been a bit awkward. <laughs> Like, you have to talk to, you have to relate to them still, but you can still be other. So what am I saying? I'm saying any attitude of the world, you need to just remove it from your life. And that's really challenging. So if we think again about work, you know, the world, we live in a capitalist society. We live in a world where, you know, making money is always, always commended. And the reality is there's nothing wrong with having lots of money. But making money is not the be all and end all. And if you go to work to make money, I would challenge that. I think that's intermarrying with your culture. Because Father says, and he wrote in his book, he said, the love of money is the root of all evil. I'm not saying don't be rich, don't hear that. But if the reason you're going is to make money, then you need to be careful. Because somewhere else is going to influence your life, and you're going to drink the Coke, and you're not going to like it. The other thing I want to talk about is that inner dialogue. And Rob had a, a word this morning about people who've been stuck in inner dialogue. And the last huge theological concept I want to bring up is about the image of God. You guys understand, you guys know that, I know that you do. You guys know that you're the children of God, and that when he created you, you were made in his image. But when we unpack that for a moment, that means when I think negative thoughts about myself, I'm thinking negative thoughts about God's image. And that's sinful. And I'm not talking about people who've been hurt and broken, and I'm not saying that when, when you've been hurt, that's your fault and that's sinful. But to the point where you are, you are um, responsible for your thoughts, if you have disordered thoughts, that's different. That's not what I'm talking about. To the point where you're responsible for your thoughts, when you're thinking negatively about yourself, it's sinful. And what that does is it affects everyone around you. Because if you don't have a high understanding of what a human being is, you're not going to treat the person at the desk in the gas station very nicely, are you? And so what's really, really important for us to realize is that sin, not only does it affect everyone outside of me, but it also really affects me. And what we need to do is we need to learn to love ourselves. The answer to sin is not trying, it's love. Have you noticed that? Jesus, Jesus was sent as a baby to just love on the world. That's pretty much all he did, because the answer to sin is love. So if you're struggling with these things, try two things. One, love yourself better, and two, love those around you better. And so I want to talk about 
also that not only like thinking negative thoughts about yourself, but negative thoughts about others. And let's be real about this. We all do this pretty much all the time. We all look at other human beings and, and actively root for them to fail. I've done it pretty much every day of my life. That's not okay. And just as I challenged us earlier, let's be a people who live in the open, you know, safe vulnerability. Let's also be a people who love one another. And let's be real that, that yeah, let's start with the actions. But don't let it finish there. Don't just smile. Learn to love someone who you struggle to love. Because the reality is, as I've already said, is that our culture is self-orientated. And our culture is one that doesn't understand how to love. But we need to be a people that, to the very core of us, if you cut me open, I want love to come out. And the only way to do that is to deal with my inner dialogue. So there's a couple of things I want to pray through and I want to, I want to touch on. But before I go into a kind of a response time, I want to remind you of something, which is that Joshua's main point is basically this. Whenever we step into sin, we step out of promise. The two things can't abide with each other. But I want to remind you, everything you've heard about the last few weeks in this Joshua thing, it's so, it's so ready. It's all there. And it's actually so easy to take hold of. All it takes is getting rid of that stuff. And the only problem, the only reason it's hard is because we get used to it. And the reality is, you're going to get used to heaven a lot quicker than you're going to get used to earth. It won't happen instantly. There will be moments where you're on your knees praying and you're like, I hate this. But we need to push through. Because here's the thing, when, when we all look like Jesus, the world will be saved like that. So let's be a people who do that. And let's take the land. So... I just encourage you maybe now, if you just bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes. And as I've been talking, there's been a couple of things that have been on my mind, that have been on my mind this morning when I was praying that I want to call out. And if these things are something that either it makes you nervous, me, me naming it, or you know that it's you and it's something you want to deal with, I would just really encourage you to come forward at the end. And I'm going to separate these two times so that no one knows what you're responding to. But we would love to pray for you. But I'm just going to, I just encourage you just to begin to pray and listen. And if Father wants to say something to you that I haven't said, that's great too. But I'm just going to name some things just for a moment. And I'm just, I just encourage you to just listen and think maybe, do I struggle with that? And the first one is gossip. The first one is gossip. And Father, I just pray that you just wipe that out amongst us. The second one is something I've already mentioned. It's, it's striving for money. It's not just like enjoying the blessings, but it's actually striving for money. And if that's you, I just encourage you to respond at the end. There's another one as well, and this one is like such a sensitive one, but I, I mentioned it in the talk, and I really want to highlight it. It's anyone who really hates themselves. And I have this sense that there may be one person in this room who would say that they hate themselves. And if that's you, I would love you to come find me at the end because I want to pray for you. But just as you, every eye is closed and every head is bowed, I'm just going to pray for you all corporately. And then we're going to respond in some worship. And there will be prayer ministry at the front. And if any of those things that I just said witnesses with you or anything else that you want to deal with, come forward and let's deal with it together. Because when you get loved on, sin is just going to fall off you, trust me. 
So Father God, I just thank you for this family. I thank you that they're after your heart. I thank you that they're your children. And I thank you that we can put the cross of Jesus Christ between us and our sin. And right now, I just do that prophetically. I just place the cross of Jesus Christ between me, me and my sin. And I do that for everyone in this room. And I just pray for chains to be broken. I pray for everything that's done in the in, intimate, hidden place to just be broken off people. Everything that's not holy, everything that's not other, we just break it off right now in the name of Jesus. And I just release the angels in this place. We're just going to keep waiting for a moment, church. We're just going to keep waiting because I believe Holy Spirit is moving. We're just going to keep waiting and the angels are going to come around. Holy Spirit's moving amongst us. And I just pray for freedom right now. I pray for freedom right now.